Welcome to the Cross Church Podcast. This message was presented on July 7th. Pastor Allen kicked off our summer series, Summer of Psalms, Inside the Heart of David. Join us as we examine Psalm 22. One more time. Good morning, everybody. So good to have you here in the middle of the summer. And it's a hot one outside, and so you've come to the right place. I hope nobody's too cold here. Uh, If you are, too bad. (laughs) Bring a sweater next time. We're continuing our series uh, in the Psalms, and we're learning something about David. Uh, David was called a man after God's own heart. We don't see that about anybody else in the Scripture, but for David, he's got got this very special title. And... uh, what we want to do this summer is we want to look at, look at 10 psalms that, look at, that looks at the life of David, that really reveals David's heart. We're looking at 10 psalms that David wrote. There's 150 psalms. Last week I said that if you read five psalms every day, you can actually get through all of the psalms in a month. Some of you have taken that challenge on and you've begun it. Um, some are saying, well, I don't want to do it in one month, but I'm going to do it over two. That's fine. Um, you're going to need a whole month to read Psalm 119, if you know anything about the Psalms. <laughs> That's a long one. But uh, it's all about David. Now, most of us know uh, a little bit about David. This is a, a picture painted by Rembrandt uh, around 1650. And it's young David on his harp playing for King Saul. Some of you remember that. And uh, you'll know that David was anointed by Samuel, the prophet. Israel wants a king. God gave them a king. His name was Saul. Saul turned out to be an absolute disaster because he refused to obey God. He just refused to do what God told him to do. And so God says, I'm replacing Saul with a new king. And so Samuel's told by God, go to uh, the household of Jesse. Jesse's got a, a number of sons and one of them is, is going to be king, and I want you to anoint him. So David uh, is out in the fields. He's, uh, he's a young one, and uh, uh, really Samuel was not interested in, in, in even considering a little boy. I say a little boy. He's old enough to be out in the fields taking care of the sheep, and uh, he says, Jesse, bring your sons before me. And one after another, they come before Samuel, and Samuel thinks, well, this must be the one. I mean, he's tall, he's handsome, he looks like a king, he looks like a leader. God keeps saying, no, 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 no. And God says uh, to Samuel, men look at outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And he says to Jesse, Jesse, do you have any other sons? He goes, well, I got one more, but you don't want him, he's the runt. Hey, do you ever feel like that? They call David in, and instantly, Samuel knows this is the one. This young man, this boy, is the one. And he's the one that is anointed. Now, one day, uh, Jesse says to David, David, I want you to go to your brothers. They're on the front lines. They're fighting the Philistines. And, um, and David goes with food for his brothers. When he gets there, he hears the taunts of the giant Goliath. 
And David is immediately indignant because the giant is mocking God, he's blaspheming God, and he, David declares, without even thinking of who he's talking to and who's listening to him, is who dares defy the living God of Israel. And David's very clear that he could take this giant on any day of the week. Typical boy. But this was not just a typical boy. This was a boy who was under the influence of God. Under the influence of God. A heart for God. And someone reports to King Saul, hey, there's a young kid who's willing to go and fight fight Goliath. I mean, after all, Goliath is taunting us and, and telling us to send somebody, and we haven't sent anybody. Nobody's volunteering for it, but this boy is. And, and Saul's thinking, well, I've got to send somebody. What do I got to lose? At least I won't lose one of our strong men of Israel. So he sends David out. But before he sends David out, he says, David, you've got you to put on some armor, man, or you're going to be dead in, in just minutes. So David, trying to, you know, be polite, says to the king, okay, put it on me. So he gets all this, all this armor loaded on his breastplate and his shin pads, and this, he's girded around here with a, le- with a leather, kind of like a skirt, and, and he's got all the weapons of, of Saul. The problem is now is that David can't move. <laughs> it's all too heavy. So David says, look, you know what? I have fought bears and lions out protecting my dad's sheep. I don't need any of this garbage. Just let me go. And you know the story. David rises up and uh, goes directly to the Philistine, Goliath, yelling and screaming his threats. And on his way towards the giant, he stoops down, he picks up five smooth stones, and he's got his trusty sling, his slingshot. Oh, that's right, a giant killer. <laughs> Just what we need to get the job done. Now, Goliath is looking at this, and he's, at first he's amused, and then, and then he's angry. He's like, what do, you, what do you think I am, a dog? How dare you send a child? I'm going I'm to just destroy this child. David's got five stones. One, and by the way, it's not because he's not sure of his shot. He knows he can hit his target. He's been practicing out in the wilderness with the, with the sheep on a regular basis. He's got an excellent shot. Thank you very much. He's got one stone for Goliath, and he's got four more stones for Goliath's brothers in case they show up. David means to not just destroy Goliath, but, but Goliath and his whole family. He start, and this is amazing. David is not trembling. He's not shaking. David knows he's going in the power of God. And he doesn't just stand there. He runs towards the giant. I'm coming to get you, sucker. And Goliath has got his massive spear, but probably a lot of us couldn't even pick it up. It's so heavy. And he's ready to just chuck it at, at this little dog called David. David runs towards Goliath while swinging his sling. And he takes aim, he knows exactly where he wants it. Down he goes. 
And you know the story. David comes along, cuts off his head. By the way, that story has terrified my children. <laughs> they don't mind us reading the Bible, but not that part. Remember that, Nick? <laughs> Saul hears about this, and he says, this is an amazing boy. I want him to come to my court. And that's what the story is about, about this young David. This young David who was yesterday a shepherd boy taking care of sheep, who was really, uh, for all intents and purposes, he was, he, was, he was unclean by Jewish law because he couldn't, he couldn't go through the ceremonial cleansings. And here he is now in Saul's court. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. This is a young boy that had the hand of God upon him. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. If you belong to Jesus today, if you put your faith in Christ, then the hand of God rests upon you. And there's no giant on this earth that need trouble you. What giant are you facing in your life right now? What giant is troubling you and striking fear in your heart? And I'm telling you now, in the name of Jesus, you need to let that fear go and understand that God is sovereign, he's in charge, and if he can, gu if he can guide the hand of that little boy David, he'll guide your hand and guard your life. Would you say amen to that today? Amen. I love the life of David. He was a man after God's own heart. One of the first books that I read when I started in the ministry is a book by Alan Redpath, I think written in the 1950s, and it's called A Man After God's Own Heart. If you can get a hold of it, I advise you to get it. It'll change your life. A Man After God's Own Heart. This young man, you may know, was at first loved by Saul, but then Saul grew to hate him. And here's why. Because while everybody was singing Saul's praise, Saul has killed his thousands. You know what they're saying about David? David is, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. How would that make you feel if you were the king? Well, you know, you probably feel jealous. That would be sort of a normal reaction. Now, here's the thing. Saul could have killed his 10,000s too, but somewhere along the line, he stopped trusting God. David chose to trust God, and Saul chose not to trust God. He chose to take matters into his own hands. He chose to take life into his own hands. Listen, the difference between a person who, who has what we would call a successful life versus those who are constantly failing and falling is found in that one word, trust. Or two words, trust God. And so, rather than loving David and learning from young David, Saul began to pursue David to kill him. And not just Saul, but all those who wanted to curry favor with the king. So now it's not just Saul that wants to kill David, but it's all those men who want to win favor with Saul. They don't want to win favor with God. They want to win favor with Saul because they think if they get David, they'll be elevated. So David now is a hunted man. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about David the hunted, David the one who suffered. We're looking at Psalm 22 today. It's the psalm that comes before Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. We heard that read. Psalm 22. In the psalm on suffering, we see not only David's suffering, but we see a suffering that is prophetic in nature. The suffering in Psalm 22 looks forward to the suffering a thousand years later in the life of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 is prophetic in nature. It proves to us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Because what we see in Psalm 22, we see mirrored in the life of Christ. Let me just show you some of these verses. Begins, uh, let me begin at Psalm 22, 16. It's not the beginning of the psalm, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna systematically go through this psalm to show you Christ's death on the cross. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen says, my enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is what David is saying. And this actually happens then to Jesus. Mark 15, 24, they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. They pierced his hands and feet. Isn't that interesting? Now, before we go any further, because we're talking about David, we're talking about Jesus, but now I want to bring each and every one of you into the story. Because what a lot of people don't understand is that we as Christians are also going to suffer. We also will struggle. In fact, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells his young protege, Timothy. He says to Timothy, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. A lot of you don't know that, or maybe didn't know that. In fact, you feel that the suffering that you're going through right now is really the devil getting getting the the high ground on you, getting, getting the upper hand. Can I tell you something today? If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if your faith is even just as small as a mustard seed, I'm going to tell you, you are safe in the arms of Jesus. Because you may be going through a bit of suffering or a bit of persecution, this is not evidence that God has forgotten about you. Because here's what you need to see Jesus suffered. David, a man after God's own heart, suffered. And you're going to suffer too. Pastor Allen, but why? Well, I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But first, I want you to see something very powerful in the psalm, the psalm of suffering. The suffering of a man after God's own heart. We see it in Jesus. And then we read in Psalm 22, 18, they divided my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Some of you, your Bibles say, cast lots for my clothing, same thing. 
Matthew 27, 35. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Do you see the prophecy coming true in Jesus Christ? You see, the Jewish mind, they believed that when the Messiah came, he would establish or set up his kingdom on earth. That was not why Jesus came. Not the first time anyway. He is going to do it the second time. But the first time, he's coming to suffer and to set up his kingdom not on this earth but in our hearts. So if there's any doubt or any question whether or not Jesus Christ really is the Messiah, this, my friends, is the proof. We see it in Psalm 22. Hallelujah. Jesus' death was not an accident. Jesus' death was not plans gone wrong. Jesus' death, his suffering, was exactly according to God's plan. Think about that for a moment. The suffering that David went through was exactly according to God's plan. And the suffering that you may be going through today is exactly according to God's plan. You say, Pastor Allen, that's not what I heard on TV. That's not what I heard on the YouTube clips. That's not, not in the books that I've been reading, Pastor. I don't know where you're getting this from. Well, you're going to see in just a moment if you, if you don't leave. <laughs> but you need to understand something. Jesus Christ, my Messiah, your Messiah, your King, your Lord, your Savior, has gone before you, and he set an example for us that we should follow in his steps. How many want to follow in the steps of Jesus? Oh, I don't know about this, Pastor Allen. Look at If you want a Christianity that's going to, it's full of razzmatazz, it's going to entertain you, that's going to make all your dreams come true, it's going to give you whatever you want, you've come to the wrong place. Because I'm going to be preaching to you the full counsel of God. Jesus was nailed to the cross, and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, just as David prophesied. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer, and they shake their heads. And then we read in Matthew 27, 39, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at that. You see the parallels. The the detail that the Psalms include is there to prove to us, to show us that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was not an accident or a coincidence. It's according to God's plan. Yes, even to the point that the people passing by are sneering and shaking their heads at Jesus. And then Psalm 22, 8a, this is what they said. Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. That's exactly what they said to Jesus. Matthew 27, 43, he trusted God, so let God rescue him. Now, if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. You're going to get people telling you that, that, that kind of thing all the time. The people that mock your faith and mock your religion, mock your Christianity. 
Here's what you need to understand, folks, is that although the world looks on and thinks, what a load of hooey, you need to understand something. God's busy and he's at work in your life and he's not finished with you yet. Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for your help? That was, that was David, man after God's own heart. And then Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Have you ever felt like you've been abandoned by God? You know what Jesus promised before he left this earth? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. And he sent us his Holy Spirit. In the midst of your struggles, your suffering, your pain, your sorrow, your hurt, understand something. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sin so that his spirit could come and dwell in us richly and so you'll never have to be alone again. And even in the midst of your struggle, your suffering, God's there. And he's made the promise he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then we read Psalm twenty-two, thirty-one: They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And then Jesus says in John 19, 30, as he breathes his last breath on the cross, he says, it is is finished. Read that with me. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Folks, I want to tell you something. There are consequences for your sin in action, for sure. But here's what you need to know when it comes to suffering. Suffering for your sins is not what brings you salvation. Jesus suffered for your sins, and he brings us salvation. So then you could say, well, Pastor Ellen, why on earth? What on earth is the suffering for? Why do we still have to suffer? I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not to win your salvation. Jesus wins your salvation. Your suffering is for your sanctification. What does that mean, to be sanctified? Sanctification means to be made holy, to be purified. In 1982, at Calvary Temple, at the PAOC conference, it was my very first general conference that I'd ever been to, 1982. I'll never forget it. And uh, very, very thrilling. I remember who, who our general superintendent was, uh, Pastor McKnight, and I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to really know everything that was going on, but I, I particularly remember when, when the executive member, Charles Yates, stood up. Clarence is the only one in this room who know who Charles, who Charles Yates is, except for maybe Gloria. And I remember him uh, in about 30-minute in time frame declaring that we Pentecostals are not charismatics. And this really struck me because I had been reading some books 
about charismatics. And in case you don't know what a charismatic is, it's, it's, a, it's a Pentecostal on steroids. Let's put it like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, of course. Let me just quickly tell you what a charismatic is. In the, in the 60s and 70s, there was a, a movement called the charismatic movement. And uh, the emphasis was on the Holy Spirit, which is good. The problem was, on this emphasis on the Holy Spirit's work and on his gifts, is that they took it to an extreme. My, my New Testament uh, professor, Grace Brown, said, any truth taken to an extreme becomes a heresy. And that's exactly what happened. And so amongst the charismatics, and they're not, they're not Pentecostals, they're charismatics from other denominations, books started coming out saying that God wants you to be rich. There's one book called We're King's Kids, and if we're King's Kids, we should get whatever we want. There are other books that came out said that uh, that. King's kids should always be healthy, never sick. They should be healed every time. There should be no sufferings, and there should be no struggles. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you take the Bible and you start pulling out all the pages that have to do with suffering and struggles, you're going to be ripping out a lot of pages. And I'm going to tell you, it does not agree with, with the New Testament. And it was this that Charles Yates was getting up before the conference to make clear to pastors. What he was saying is, pastors, you have got to be theologically sound and correct. You've got to be biblical. And just so you know, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, this is what marked it from the very beginning. We are a movement that understood the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But here's what you also have to know, is that we are and were biblical. We, we did our theology, we did our Christian life in light of the full counsel of Scripture. And it's for that reason that even those who were not Pentecostal recognize that we were sound. They might not agree with our practices, but they understood and recognized that we were indeed true Christians. We truly were converted. And I thank God for my heritage. I grew up at Calvary Temple, Pastor Barber, excellent, sound preaching. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Now, listen to this before I show you this passage of Scripture. Because for some of you, you've got the wrong notion, the wrong idea of what, what God wants for your life. And you think God always wants me to be healthy and never be sick? Well, of course God wants you to be healthy and not sick. But the, 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 the problem is we're living on planet Earth. This is not heaven. How many know that we're not in heaven yet? Does God heal? Absolutely. I've experienced it myself. I've prayed for people and watched them be healed. I've seen miracles take place. All of us here have seen and known miracles in our life. We believe in the power of Almighty God to transform us. But I'm going to tell you something. God is not a magic genie. He's not Santa Claus. You don't, you don't come to him at Christmas or at Easter time and sit on his knee, and, and he doesn't ask you, what do you want? It's not how it works. God doesn't really care what you want. More importantly, it's what he wants. 
How many would agree with that today? What does God want from me? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul says. And we know God, that God causes everything to work together for those or for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Stop, don't read anymore. Because here's the problem. When we read this, when we quote the scripture, we only quote verse 28. But you can't just quote verse 28. You've got to quote verse 29 as well. Because tw- verse 29 completes the thought. For God knew his people in advance, and look at this, read it with me, and he chose them to become like his son. This is what God wants for you. You thought, well, if I become a Christian, all my problems will be solved. Well, your problems will be solved, but that's not why you're a Christian. You're a Christian so that you become like Jesus, and when you become like Jesus, then life starts falling into place. That's the benefit, the fruit of following Jesus. But if you want to know what God wants for you, it's that you become like Jesus, that you follow in his steps, that you walk in the steps of Christ, that you be like Jesus. We talk about moment-by-moment holiness here at our church. What are we saying? You need to be like Jesus. You need to do what Jesus would do. Every time you make a decision, you're asking yourself the question, What would Jesus do? And then you do it. This is what real holiness is. I grew up thinking that holiness was, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't don't dance, don't... I don't, I don't, I don't. Here, I'm going to tell you what holiness is. Holiness is doing the will of God every time. Say with me. Holiness is doing the will of God every time. And I can tell you, if you're doing the will of God every time, you you won't be damaging your body with drink, with alcohol, with with tobacco, or, or indulging in anything that doesn't please God. So I don't need to preach about all the things you don't do. What I really need to do is I need to preach about being like Jesus. Can you see Jesus standing there smoking a cigar? The thought of it, even, even those words coming out of my mouth sounds blasphemous in my ears. Can you see Jesus staggering drunk? It's not going to happen. He's the Holy One. Now, the problem is, so many of us, we struggle with this, being like Jesus. I'm going to tell you, God takes everything in your life, yes, even your suffering, even your struggles, your problems, even your health issues. And he uses all these things for your good. And what is the good? That you become like Jesus. The good for you is that you become like Jesus. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And when you become like Jesus, I'm going to tell you, your life is radically transformed. Things start going well for you. Things start working out for you. Paul tells us of his suffering. Paul, by, by the way, 
If Paul were here right now, he would be the, he would be the most vocal one saying, amen, Alan, preach it. I just know the apostle Paul would do that. He, he would be affirming me as I preach this to you. Listen to this. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. Does God give messengers from Satan? That's what it says here. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to do what? To torment me. And if you're King James, it's to buffet you. We're not talking about a buffet. <laughs> to, buff- to buffet you means to hammer you, to pound you, to chasten you, to correct you, to subdue you. Paul says, God gave this to me. Why? To keep me from becoming proud. You're going through a hard time right now? Don't despair. Don't bring Satan into it even. Just ignore him. He's perishing. He's going to hell. He's going to die. It's all over for him. Unfortunately, we have to to deal with him a little bit. What you need to do is get your eyes off of Satan, get your eyes on God and say, God, what are you telling me here? What are you teaching me? What are you showing me? Because I'm going to tell you, if you love Jesus and if you believe that God wants to make you into the image of his son, if, you want, if God wants you to be like Jesus, then God is going to allow you to go through a bit of suffering. He's going to allow you to be hammered. Anybody been hammered this week? Oh, yeah. Anybody been pounded Chastened, corrected, subdued, controlled. Three times I begged the Lord, take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. No, God, that's not the answer I was looking for. And God says, well, that's when you're getting. Three times I begged, Lord, take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. In other words, the suffering, you're not going to lose it anytime soon. God says, my power works best in your weakness. I don't know about you folks, when I'm weak, that's when I'm closest to Jesus. When I'm struggling, that's when I'm closest to Jesus. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. But anybody say, thank God for my suffering? No, nobody's saying that. (laughs) You don't want to give God any ideas, did you? (laughs) Verse 10, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. By the way, the word weaknesses, infirmity is what it is. Struggle, suffering. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults. Anybody been insulted for their faith? For the hardships? Anybody going through hardship right now? Pastor Allen, I could keep you here all day telling you about my hardships. Persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Thank you, Charles Yates, for speaking to this young man, Alan Duncalf, just 20 years old when I heard that. Man, he corrected my course and got me going in the right direction. And Paul says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Look at this. One more verse. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Would anybody say that? Could you say it? Say it. I want to suffer with him. Say it again. One more time. From your lips to God's ears. Paul says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This is the sanctifying power of God. He's purifying you so that someday when you die, you'll go to heaven. God is working in you. Look at Pastor Allen. Don't I look like I got it all together? My jacket doesn't even fit me, and it's brand new. <laughs> Thank God he's working on me. I don't stand before you as a perfect man, but like the Apostle Paul, I thank God for my suffering. I thank God for my struggle. I'm a work in progress. See, Pastor Ron, I thought we had a better pastor than that. <laughs> Everybody here, if you love Jesus and you're following him, you're a work in progress. So when you go from here today, I don't want you going away from here saying, God, I thought you loved me. If you loved me, I wouldn't be suffering like this. But now you just found out the truth. You're suffering because God loves you. God's not finished with you. He's sanctifying you. He's purifying you. So someday, someday, we can all be with Jesus. How many want to be with Jesus? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together, shall we? Okay, this is the longest I've ever preached, I think. And I'm not going to apologize to you. It's part of your suffering. (laughs) (laughs) As you're standing here, I want you to listen to this. The Apostle Paul, he says, I was in prison frequently. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have been often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often have gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the church churches who is weak and I do not feel weak also who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn what you're struggling with today temptation feel like it's just overwhelming you the good news is that God has sent his Holy Spirit who dwells within you richly And he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Hallelujah. Father, thank you this morning for your hand upon us. We recognize today, O God, that you are sovereign over all. You are the omnipotent one. Satan has no authority and no power over the believer. 
Thank you today, O oh God. We are safe in your hands, and you're doing a work in us. You are sanctifying us. You are transforming us. You are changing us. You are making us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for the struggle and the suffering that we have all endured because we know, Lord, you are making us fit for heaven. You're not finished with us. God, even though we struggle, you're with us. You're going to bring us through it. And God, we know that at, at the end of the suffering, you will say what you said about David. This man, this woman, is a man, a woman after my own heart. God, as we go from here this morning, we pray that your spirit would work within us, transforming us, making us like Jesus. And everyone said it? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go embrace your suffering. <laughs>